Hello, I'm Liam Shoesmith and I really love to talk about gardening, especially wildlife gardening. In fact, I go on about it so much that it's been suggested to me that I do a few recordings, the first of which you're listening to now. I've been told that the good thing about listening to me on playback is that if I go on too much, I can be turned off. Charming. So, just a little about myself. I'm a country boy being brought up in Cornwall, spending most of my younger days playing around old lanes and tramways. This is where wildlife had been left to thrive, and I, I found great interest in it. From the age of eight, I combined my interest in nature and combined it with gardening, spending most of my summer holidays climbing trees and helping my dad in a walled garden where he was head gardener. After leaving school in 1990, I studied and worked in horticulture, meeting many interesting people working at all the big flower shows, working at large estates, nurseries, being in charge of propagation and managing council parks departments. I've been lucky enough to win a few awards along the way and work with some award-winning teams. For over 30 years now, gardening has been my profession, but combining nature and gardening has been my passion. Well, that's enough about me. Let's get on to the subject, and it's gardening for nature. Come on, Lot. Lottie. Good girl. <laughs> Go on. Go on. That's my Jack, Jackapoo, Lottie. She's a Jack Russell cross toy poodle and uh, yeah, quite a little character, really. Lottie, this way. Come on. Come on, Lots. Good girl. Lovely little dog, only two, and running around like mad. And she's running around in the woods. Because this morning, I, everybody was asleep. I just said to her, walkies. That was it. She wouldn't leave me alone. Well, I shouldn't have done it, should I? And I had to take her out. So in the car, smearing her wet nose all over the window. And then as soon as I got to the woods, opened the door, boom, gone. Absolutely gone. Loving it. And she loves to loves all the smells here. And um, and just what my grandma would say to rooty toot amongst all the shrubberies and uh, all, all the bushes underneath the tree canopy here. But what I'm talking about is wildlife in your garden. And I think the woodlands is quite a good place to demonstrate habitat and diversity because you take a walk through the woods and you'll hear all sorts going on if you haven't got your dog running around you'll hear all the animals in the trees and I can hear a jay crying around in the trees there at the moment just a lot going on but it's when you come to the openings that you'll hear more you'll hear more sounds when you come to those openings because there's light coming through and there's more plant diversity that's where you'll get a lot more anemones and things in the spring uh, bluebells and such like but it's just more going on because the light is coming through and that diversity you can you you can copy in your garden so just planting different shrubs in different ways and, and maybe a few log piles as well which I'm just looking at at the moment which is will be absolutely full of creatures a log pile with ferns and hostas and things around it looks really decorative and is great habitat for wildlife but it's also the openings in the woods, but it's the woodland edge. And I'll just tell you about the hedgehog. The hedgehog got its name from living in hedges, obviously. Well, what used to happen in medieval times is they used to plant thickets of plants that they used to get probably from the edge of woodlands and put them in, in rows. And they used to divide boundaries. They were hedges. And the hedgehog was a woodland edge dwelling creature. So when these hedges were planted up, it was fantastic for them. They had great habitat and places to live. 
And so they used to live in these hedges and that's how they got the name hedgehog. So try this in your garden. Try planting lots and lots of different diverse shrubs and just really think of habitat and take a walk in the woods, but not with your jackaboo. In the past, the garden and nature might have been considered to be separate things. But just think how much enjoyment we get from, say, a pond in the garden. Creatures like pond skaters moving elegantly on the surface of the water, whirligig beetles swimming round in circles like out-of-control balloons. You might get tadpoles, which you can watch develop into frogs. It's really fascinating to watch. Then we get the bees reassuring you with their gentle buzzing and the fluttering of the colourful butterflies passing by on their way to the garden's nectar-rich flowers. And I haven't got to the birds yet. As a nation, we spend between 200 and 300 million on bird feeding products each year. We love to see them in the garden. And guess what? We're now back to talking about the woods, as most of our visiting feathered friends are woodland species. Whether you realise it or not, nature is all around us and provides us with much enjoyment. And as it is depleting, we really need to do something about it. I'll talk about making a wildlife garden in future episodes, but let me tell you how us gardeners can really make a difference. I'm going to tell you about the goldfinch, which is a beautiful little bird and I love to see them in the garden. Collectively, they're called a charm, and charming little birds they are. Goldfinches have had a hard time over the years. In fact, they were one of the first birds the RSPB, who were originally called the Society for the Protection of Birds, were concerned about in their early days during the late 19th century. This eye-catching tropical-looking bird looked so pretty that people wanted to have them in their houses to admire, catching them in great numbers and keeping them in cages. Of course, we now know not to do that sort of thing with wild animals, but back then there were no rules, regulations or education stopping this appalling confinement. And so it carried on with the goldfinch numbers declining drastically. To give an idea of numbers captured, it was recorded in Worthing in 1860 that 132,000 goldfinches were trapped. This unfortunately went on for many years and throughout the country. But... As said, the RSPB helped put a stop to this, and the bird numbers soon grew. Well, that was until the latter end of the 20th century, as in the 1980s the poor little bird was on the decline again. Studies at the time suggested that changes in farming techniques, for example, terrestrial and open ground being cut and tidied before plant species seeded, all took valuable food supplies, and the goldfinch now became a concern again. Throughout the 1990s, this problem was drawn to the public's attention and concerned groups and societies started to educate the gardeners on what they could do to help. People were taught to put seeds such as nitra seeds into their bird feeders, not to deadhead their plants such as sunflowers, leave plants such as teasel to go to seed, all providing plenty of grub for this seed-eating bird. They are now on the increase every year, it seems, and surveys performed between 2002 and 2012 saw the goldfinch numbers increase by 80%. Now that is a pat on the back for us gardeners. So anyone who thinks that the common gardener cannot make a difference to our national wildlife crisis are wrong. Roughly, there's 433,000 hectares of garden in the UK. And if we all work together, what a difference we can make. 
and we'll end up with a much more interesting and enjoyable garden at the same time. It's not just the goldfinch we can help in the garden, we can help all birds. And I'm out here on a very windy day. I've just come to clean the bird feeder. Probably about every two or three weeks, I'll take it down and give it a clean with soapy water. And then I'll fill it back up. This one's got peanuts in. I've got one with nidra seeds in for the goldfinches. And I've got a flat table here. And this one's a basket. I like the basket idea because the rain can come through. It doesn't wash anything off. It just comes through. And the basket's got sides on it as well. So when the birds land, they don't scratch it and push it all onto the floor so the grain or whatever I put in there is always there ready for them. Now there's a few little notes for bird food. First thing is if you're going to get bird food get quality bird food. A lot of these cheap bird foods that you can buy they're like fast food really. They've got some of the stuff that birds need but a lot of it's junk food. They're made up with cheap ingredients so if you can get something with a decent society's mark on it get that that's the best sort of grain for them make sure you wash your bird feeders this needs doing every couple of weeks as birds are quite delicate little creatures and there's lots of things that can harm them and lots of pathogens and things that need cleaning off your your feeding equipment that'll help them along there's different feeds you can have peanuts again make sure it's a quality peanut some peanuts if they're left to go moldy that's dangerous to birds so don't put them on the table make sure that they're nice and fresh there's sunflower seeds, sunflower seeds full of fats and proteins, brilliant for the winter months. Fat balls, these are great for birds in the winter months. And you'll notice the birds come probably in the early to late afternoon and feed on, on a winter day. They want to get some fat content into them, keep them warm overnight. Fat balls are a great way of doing that. And what you need to do is take that little net off. If they've got a little net around the fat ball, cut that off because birds can get their feet caught in that and get in quite a lot of problems and nidra seeds these are for goldfinch and they're pretty specific for goldfinch also goldfinches like sunflower seeds and so do other birds put some feed on the little table but also you can sprinkle some around the ground and just a quick note when positioning your bird table obviously consider cats and other things that might attack the birds put a bird table in your garden and that's guaranteed it will be visited within a month you'll be having birds visiting you and you'll get some enjoyment from the wildlife in the garden. Bird feeders and tables are a way of getting wildlife into your garden straight away. It could be as early as day one if you just start putting feed out for birds. We talk a lot about putting food out for birds but it is also very important to put some water out for them as well. On a frosty day, a bowl of water that is liquid, because everything else is frozen, is so important for birds. They can dehydrate very quickly, even in cold weather. Looking after birds is a good, quick way of bringing nature into your garden. So, now that we know one way us gardeners can help our depleting nature, let's talk about how we got here. I'm going to start talking about this by mentioning Henry VIII. Henry VIII is a monarch I have a little bit of sympathy for. He had six mother-in-laws. Poor guy. He also created a lot of palaces and started up the Royal Navy. All this construction and shipbuilding needed a lot of materials and in Tudor times wood was the main building material, especially with ships. In fact, so much wood was used during the Tudor period that the first ever conservation laws came into place to help protect the trees. 
A law was passed in 1543, the Act for the Preservation of Woods. This act stopped too many oaks being felled by shipbuilders. However, Henry's carbon footprint must have been massive. Now going back to the start of the Royal Navy. The Navy's flagship was the Mary Rose, which unfortunately sank between Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight, right in front of the King's eyes. She was discovered in the late 70s and raised in the early 80s, giving many experts a chance to observe and study the ship. On examining the timbers, they discovered that she was made of oak and elm. Looking at the oaks, it was estimated that 600 large oak trees were chopped down to build the ship. That's 16 hectares or around 40 acres worth of oak trees removed in the three years that it took to build the Mary Rose. Now the oak is a fantastic tree for wildlife. It is thought that there's around 650 different types of animal that can live in this tree. And when you think of all the fungi, lichens and other forms of life that can exist on this tree, the number goes up to around 3,000. That's not including the species that come to the oak tree to dine on the species that live on it. Keep working it out and the numbers just keep growing. And 600 of these were chopped down in the three years it took to build the Mary Rose. Where did that life go? Well, this was a course in the 1500s and surely we know better. Well, not really. In fact, we all know it's increasing. Just think of all the building that's currently gone around in areas where you live. You don't need statistics, just common sense. Now, I'm not naive to the fact that the wildlife crisis needs help on a much larger scale than just our gardens, but just think back to the goldfinch and the difference we can make. The question is, do we let this just happen and say, what a shame, or do we do what we can to help? A wildlife garden is good for all living creatures and has the side effect of being good for our plants as well. Now, I talked earlier about how we could help birds, but something else we're worried about is our insects, particularly pollinating ones like bees. So just to finish this first episode off, I've quickly nipped into the shed to make a quick, cheap home for solitary bees. Now when it comes to carpentry, I'm known as a bit of a wood butcher. But this little job is easy. Even I can manage it. You'll soon get the idea listening to my podcast that I don't like spending money. And I also don't like throwing things away. So I have an old piece of wood here that was holding a Christmas decoration. It's untreated wood. And I'm going to get some various drill bits on my drill. I'm going to go from 2mm to 10mm, mix up the holes, just lots of varied holes, into this piece of wood. Like that. I've just got it clamped on the table and then when I finish peppering it with holes, I will put it in a sunny position and somewhere the rain won't get into the hole so I'll put it flat maybe facing down just slightly so no rain goes in the hole and that will become a nesting site for solitary bees and what will happen there the solitary bee will go in it will make a cake out of nectar and pollen it will lay its egg in there seal it off the egg will hatch they'll eat the cake and eventually turn into a little bee and eat their way out that's not cost me a penny and I've done something for the solitary bees. I tell you, this is really simple stuff. It'll take me all of 10 minutes to do this job. And the good thing is, I've still got all my fingers. Well, thanks for listening to my first podcast. Next time, I'll be talking about soil, making compost, and bringing life into the ground in your garden. See you soon.